0: walk around I need something to hold on to when I'm up here and you know my wife said I regret you accepted that because what if you fall and I said well somebody will pick me up and I'll continue on (laughs) that's as simple as it is got my my trusty hurricane that I use I use a four-wheel walker when I'm in stores at the mall walking Uh, it's really been a lifestyle change And I thought at accepting Wade's invitation to share with you this morning that it might be, I haven't been here in a long time, that I might be nervous and I am the most relaxed this morning as I can ever be. I'm back where I was for 23 years, the privilege to serve here, and what a blessing to uh, to have the opportunity. And when Wade called me, he said, Larry, you can pick out your scripture when you feel in for me, however, if you want to just use the scripture that I have, you can do that." I thought, sure, whatever you've got, I'll do. I've got resources, I've got sermons, I've got research, I've done Bible study on just about everything in the Bible. So I, whatever you have, I'll take. And he said, well, it's the rich man and Lazarus from Luke chapter 16. I thought, no problem, got plenty of resources, and I hung the phone up and I thought, Oh, my goodness, what have I done? You know, when I, when I retired here in 2009, I realized that if I carried all the stuff from my church office home, it would be grounds for a divorce. One retired man told me that when he retired, he went home and thought that he and his wife owned that home. He found out, that's not true, she owns it, I'm a resident there. He's actually rented an office on bomb Drive. And I thought, what am I going to do? One of our members, Mike Roberts, who was manager of Bonnets Carpeting uh, for many years and big building on Middlebrook Pike, said, Larry, I've got empty office space there. We're not going to rent that. Would you like to have an office there? I said, yes. And when I moved out, uh, the custodians helped me. We filled up that church uh, truck. We drove down to Bonnets' office, and I went into my new office that I had, and I contracted with Jerry McClellan in our church, and he built me a nice bookshelf. And Mike Roberts gave approval for that to be added. And by the way, it was a bookshelf. When I left Bonnet's office, he took it apart. I can put it in the new office that I'll get one day. So that's just a real blessing. And for 10 years, I had that office at Bonnett's. Then Mike retired, and the Bonnet's Corporation decided they wanted to downsize. So they sold the building, and I lost my office. So I came to talk to Gary, and I said, Gary, is there any place in the church where the old farm pastor could have an office? He said, I would love to do that, but we just sold the ministry center, building past the uh, core and the annex, and uh, uh, several have moved over to the church. We're full. He said, however, Wade and I can work out an office for you in the new ministry center when it's finished. So I put my, all my resources in storage. Four file cabinets of sermons and Bible studies, 80 books, boxes of books, uh, all kind of memorabilia and plaques and pictures and all kind of stuff and crammed it into the storage area of North Shore Palisades Parkway that's where it is <laughs> if i went to try to find something on Luke 16 it would be like finding a needle in a haystack it's impossible it's all stacked and and crammed together i want you to know that when you hear a retired minister is going to preach on sunday morning that you're thinking a warmed over sermon This ain't no warmed-over sermon. I had to go to the church library this week for several hours and work like a Turk. So don't tell me you noticed where I preached on this back in 2008 or whatever. Because you won't hear this sermon because this is one that comes from the heart. But anyway, I'm thankful for my pastor, Wade. He, He is gifted. You notice that the way he handles the interviews, he has good questions. I never did interviews. But I would give people a chance to do a testimony. But he's gifted at that. He could do that on television if he wanted to. And I appreciate my relationship to Wade. As the former pastor, many of you heard me say that when he and I talked, when he was considering the church, I said, Wade, if you accept that church, you're going to be as happy as you can be the whole time you're there because I promise you, I was as happy on the day I retired after 23 years as I was when I came in 1986. That's this kind of tr- And another thing. Do you realize that for the past 71 years Central Baptist Church has only had four pastors? Henry Childs came in 1951 and served for 21 years. He was my pastor emeritus. He and Bobby retired and came back and I was blessed to have this man who was a prince of a person, a wonderful Christian minister, and conducted their memorial service when they passed away. What a blessing. Bill and I say that, uh, Bill Brewster and I say that Henry Childs put this church on the map and we just built on it. Wade said, I didn't know Henry, but I've heard enough about him to know he was special. I just wonder, how many of you joined Central Baptist during Wade's, uh, during uh, Henry's tenure? Would you raise your hands, please? Several of you. You're the veterans. Thank you. How many of you joined Central Baptist Church under Bill Brewster's ministry? Would you raise your hand? Oh, there's a good group. All right, dear and Bill. How many of you came into the church during Larry Field's ministry? Would you raise your hand? Ah, got a good group there. How many of you joined during Wade Webb's ministry? Would you raise your hand? Another good group. You know, this church is so blessed to have had pastors who love each other and who feel so fortunate to have served this wonderful ministry. And let me not forget, and don't you forget, the staff ministers that are here that have served in this church. We get a lot of attention as the pastors. But in the background are these staff ministers who work so hard and make the pastor look good. And I was blessed. If you are a present staff minister or you have served in the past and retired like me, would you please stand at this time? All the ministers present, please stand. Would you give them a... All right. Thank you so much. Don't forget, and your support staff. Don't forget the people who work here could probably get better salaries in a secular job, but they feel this is a ministry that they want to continue. So I'm thankful for that. And it's just so fortunate to have served with so many good people. And by the way, Mac Bingham was my right-hand man. I'm so thankful we honored him at the 125th anniversary. Mac is in the hospital, as many of you know, very ill. Susan and Celie, his daughters, are ministering to him I pray for Mac and the doctors and nurses that minister to him. There's just not a finer staff member that I could ever have than a person like Mac Bingham. So I'm very thankful for him. So I'm just grateful for, for the privilege to have this opportunity this morning and to share again how much this church means to me. Now the scripture that I inherited from Wade in his series on Jesus 365 is from Luke chapter 16. And I want to share that passage with you this morning. Now I will be reading from a contemporary uh, illustration or of, of, of translation of the Wright's contemporary translation, and let's read together this parable. You see, Jesus used parables. He used illustrations. He used uh, situations that even a child could understand. That's why it boggles my mind to see some of these. Very gifted theologians come in and use flowery words and people don't have any idea what he's talking about. Be like Jesus. And the parables that Jesus shared were very simple to understand. So I'm going to wet my whistle and then I'm going to read from the passage that I have. Let me get some water real quick. All right, ready to go. I'm going for another hour now. There was once a rich man said Jesus, who was dressed in purple and fine linen and feasted in splendor every day. A poor man named Lazarus, who was uh, covered with sores, lay beside the gate. He longed to, to feed himself with the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came to lick his sores. What a pitiful sight. The comparison of a man who lived in luxury and a man who lived in absolute abject misery. In due course, the poor man died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, which is another word for heaven. The rich man also died and was buried, and as he was being tormented tormented in Hades, he looked and he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Father Abraham, he cried out. Have pity on Lazarus. Me, send Lazarus. He still wants to be served. He still focuses on me. Send Lazarus to dip his dip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue in agony with this fire. My child replied, Abraham. Remember that in your life you received good things, and in the same way Lazarus received horrible things. Now he's comforted here, and you are tormented. Besides that, there is a great chasm between, standing between us. People who cross over cannot cross over from here to you nor can you cross over from there to here please then father he said send him send him to my father's house i've got five brothers let them tell about this so they don't come to into the torture chamber they've got they've got moses abraham said and the prophets let them literally listen to what they have to say no father abraham he replied But if someone went to them from the dead, they would repent. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, came the reply. Would they be convinced even if someone came from the dead? And, of course, the answer is no. People knew that Jesus had been resurrected, and they didn't believe. So there's a difference, a great chasm. And my sermon is entitled, You Make the Call. For several years, in my younger days, in Mississippi and Louisiana where I pastored, I was a football official. I like to turn around and wake up the choir from time to time, I used to do that, so that you pay attention. They had to look at my best side for many, many years, and I regret that, but I want them to stay awake. I was a football official. I wore the striped shirt. I threw the flag. I worked with our referee to mark off the penalty. You know, you couldn't have a good football game without good referees. And, and I loved it because, you know, as a pastor, you, you wore a nice suit sometimes to, to, to church and dressed up nice and on your best behavior. But out there on Friday nights, I could sweat and run and nobody knew me and I could, I could be anonymous, enjoyed that role as a, as a football official. To show you how far out in the country this was, I was officiating uh, as the umpire behind the defensive line a game between Topeka-Tilton and Boca Now, if that's not in the sticks, I don't know what is. But I threw a flag, very obvious penalty, and they were marking off the penalty, and I was getting booed from the side that uh, didn't like the call. And up in the stands, I heard this, you're a preacher and you make a call like that? (laughs) And I thought, Lord, somebody else besides you knows me here. I never found out who that was but I couldn't be completely anonymous. But I enjoyed that, that was fun. When a penalty took place, you make the call. Dan Wilford was a friend of mine. He was manager or director of the hospital in Tupelo, Mississippi, where I passed before I came here. And he was a Southeastern Conference official. And then he got the opportunity to work at the NFL. And he flew home one night from a game in New York and he was going home late at night, the the, the plane landed in Golden Triangle Airport and he was going back to Tupelo about 80 miles at 12 midnight, nobody's going to be out on the road, it's flat roads and pretty straight he was hitting 80 and 90, he was ready to get home all of a sudden blue lights and he's thinking what in the world is he doing out at this time of night he pulled over and he thought I'm going to get out of this ticket, you watch me thinking to himself the trooper came up and said, Mr. Wilford, can you see your license? He gave his license. He said, you realize you were in a 65-mile zone and you were going 70 or 80, maybe 90? He said, yes, sir, I'm anxious to get home. i worked in New York today, and I'm just exhausted. Did you work in New York? What did you do? He said, well, I'm a National Football League football official. He said, you've got to be kidding. What game did you, did you referee in uh, New York? He said, the game between the New York Giants and the uh, Baltimore Colts. He said, I watched that on TV. And Dan thought, I got it made. The trooper opened his little book up and said, Mr. Wilford, when you are a football official, do you call them like you see them? He said, I do. And he wrote the ticket out. So I enjoyed my officiating. It was a good experience. And the title of the message is, You Make the Call. Folks, When you die, there are one of two ways to go. And once you go, you can't get back here, nor can you go to the other place. The Bible is very clear about that. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And the only place in the Bible where the question is asked, what must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer asked Paul, and his companions, who did not take advantage of the earthquake and escape from the prison, he thought he was going to pay the penalty for, what he, for them escaping. And when he had heard their hymns and their testimonies, he came in trembling and said, What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You and I have a birth date. I've got one coming up in October. I'll be 79 years old. I used to think 660 was ancient. I don't feel that way anymore. I do not know my death date. If I were a convicted killer and sentenced to death, I'd probably know my death date. The judge will tell me what it's going to be. But most of us don't know. You know it may be that my death date is next week that I'm on a wreck, Tallahassee Parkway into I-40, I hit somebody and I, I, I'll, you'll be having my funeral here. And, and uh, by the way, I was told Mark, I sent an email to Mark last night, that uh, there are two hymns that I want in my memorial service. And that's all the hail the power of Jesus' name, and when I survey the wondrous cross. What a blessing that was to hear that this morning. I want that played at my memorial service. Anyway, we don't know our death date, but it is coming. Now, you need to be prepared. I was a Boy Scout, and our motto was be prepared. Do you know where you will be whenever it will take place at some time in the future? Either you're going to die or Jesus will return to receive his children home. You need to be prepared. You make the call. You make the decision. And you can respond. I love having the opportunity as a pastor and as a Christian like you to sit down with somebody and go through the plan of salvation, help them understand how to become a Christian, and to issue uh, the invitation for them to accept Christ? One man in my first little church in southwest Mississippi, uh, he drove a bread truck, and he was kind of shy. He wanted his wife and children to come to church, but he didn't want to come to church. And and I said, well, what if I pop in? If 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 you tell him I'm coming, he'll leave. She said, he sure will. And so I knocked on the door, and he was in there with him. Well, he was nice and kind, you know, to welcome the pastor, a little bit nervous. I looked back in the room, and I saw a sheet over a table. I said, what's that? And his face turned red. He said, Pastor, I'm sorry, that's a pool table. And back in those days, pool table was considered like the pool hall, you know, not, well, churches have pool tables now, but back then it was kind of a connotation. And I said, well, take the sheet off. He did. I said, well give me a cue stick. I said eight ball, best two out of three. We played pool for about an hour and next Sunday he was in church with his family for the first time. So it was a pool table that got that man through my witness into the church. There was another experience I had that didn't turn out so well. There was a wonderful woman in a church I served in southwest Mississippi, another church, and. She said, I want my husband to come to know Christ. I said, well, can I come speak to him? She said, he'll probably be nice to you, but he's, he says he's not going to say. He wants me and the children and the grandchildren to go. He doesn't want to go. So I came in. said, Mr. Weekly, thank you for letting me in your home. I'd like to share with you the plan of salvation, how God loves you. And I went through Billy Graham's steps to peace with God. Uh, you know, we are, we are sinned. We're sinners. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus Christ died and came alive for us, and I received him. I went through that little booklet, used the scripture, tried to explain it. I said, now, Mr. Weekly, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? Oh, we got a hallelujah moment coming. The wife's going to be tears in her eyes. The children and grandchildren are going to be happy. It's going to happen. And not mean, not condescending, he looked at me in a very firm way and said, no. I was shocked. I just thought I'd done a good job. At it. But I was really disappointed for his wife and for me and especially for him. Because he made the call and he said no. Several years later, when I was at another church, I received the bulletin where I had served in the former church. And I was looking at it just... Glancing to see some of the families that I ministered to during my time there. There was a section, Welcome You Members, H.C. Weekly, by Profession of Faith and Baptism. Several years later, and tears came to my eyes. I don't know if it was the new pastor, or maybe a friend of his, or maybe his wife's prayers that continued... But somehow HC Weekly made the right call. Are you prepared? Are you ready? We're going to observe the Lord's Supper this morning. I appreciated Wade giving me the opportunity to do that since I did it over 200 times when I was pastor here. And what changes have taken place? When I grew up as a boy, same routine took place. Deacons were seated down front. The pastor and chairman deacons or the pastor and associate minister would come and take the cloth, the light cloth, off the top of the elements and fold it like soldiers do when they fold the flag at a veteran's gravesite. And we went through that routine. Then we passed out uh, the the, uh, bread to the deacons. They went back and served. Then they came back. They sat down. And then we served the deacons, the, the the associate pastor and I. And he served me and I served him. Then we had the juice trays. We went through the whole thing again. And that's the way we did it here at Central. And I got to thinking, why do we have the white cloth over the elements? We have tops on all of them anyway. I read in the history and found out that during the pre-air conditioning days it was to keep the flies out of the grape juice. And all this time we've been using this white cloth. I said, Mac, I mean, we're we're not going to use that cloth anymore because the elements will be on the table. But I still realize it took a lot of time for us to pass those elements out. I visited my brother's church, which is Southeast Christian in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the largest churches in the, in the nation. And they serve the Lord's Supper every Sunday. That's the disciples of Christ. And <clears throat> I noticed where the deacons came from the back with the trades. It went much quicker. And I suggested to the chairman of deacons and to the staff that we do that here. So we started that tradition. And it really cut down on the time. We still had time to worship through the Lord's Supper. And then I, I came today and I found this little thing that was handed to you. And I'm thinking, especially during the time of COVID, what a nice thing to be able to do to know that nobody else touched the inside of that the bread or the cup. Only I touch it. I, I, you know, and there are no deacons down front. They would be willing to do that. They, they would fill up the trays and do that every, every time we did it. I just like the idea of us being efficient. Now, as we come to the table, let me pro- remind you that Central Baptist Church has open communion, which simply means that any person who is a believer in Christ, whether you're a member of this church or not, if you're a Christian, we invite you to join us. Here's the invitation. You get high school graduation invitations. My oldest grandson is graduating from C.A.K. this year. He'll be sending out invitations. You get wedding invitations. You get invitations to the 50th wedding anniversary. And it's civil play. Please respond. This is the invitation that comes to us today. Come to this sacred table not because you must but because you may. Come not to testify that your righteousness, about your righteousness, but that you receive the love that our Lord has given us, and you desire to be his true disciple. Come because you're, not because your goodness gives you the right to come, but because in your frailty and sin you stand in need of heaven's mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and you want to love him a lot. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Lift up your hearts above the cares and fears of this world. Let this bread and this cup be a sign of God's grace to you, and a pledge of your love to the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive the love of God and consecrate your uh, fresh to Christian obedience and service and to discover and do the will of God in humble faith. You have an invitation to come to the Lord's table. Now on the night that he was crucified, our Lord did not say to his disciples, go to the city square and set up a lot of tables and invite everybody to come. He didn't say that. In a private upper room, they had the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is not just for anybody. It's for believers. And we look forward to that. According to the scriptures, it says that when he and his disciples met, the first thing that he did was to take bread. And he broke it. And he passed it to his disciples. And he said, take eat my body given for you. Would you take your little cup and would you take the bread out of the bottom of it very carefully, peel it back and take that in your hand. I'm going to share a scripture and then we're going to partake of the bread together. All right. The scripture is from the Gospel of John. This is the bread that came out of heaven. Not the kind of bread that our fathers ate and died, the manna that met a physical need in the Old Testament and it lasted for a day. This is the bread of the New Testament the body of Christ and it meets a spiritual need and it meets it for all eternity. We will partake of the bread. Now after Jesus passed the bread to his disciples, he took the cup and having prepared the cup, he gave it to his disciples and they passed the cup around and they said, take drink, my blood shed for you. We will partake of the cup. Now after Jesus finished passing the elements, the tradition was in that day to conclude by singing a psalm or a hymn. And we are going to do that when we sing the doxology later in the service. But Brother Terry is going to come back and offer an appeal and share with you. And then we will sing the doxology Thank you for your support, your love for your former pastor.